0: Good morning, everyone. Great to uh, be with you here this morning. And welcome again to Fort Hill Community Church. Today, we are going to be in the book of John. The last gospel that was written about Jesus, John chapter 6, starting in verse 35. We're going to be reading the story about Jesus as... The bread of life. And so you can turn there in your Bibles if you want to, but we do have the scripture on the back here. So if you remember, if you've been with us any amount of time, we're working through this book, the book of John, and John's great point of writing this gospel, this book about Jesus, and telling us these stories about Jesus, is so that we may believe. That's the whole point. This guy, John, wrote this book that we're going to be in 2,000 years ago. I wasn't around then. You guys weren't around then, obviously. But he was around then. And he's telling us these stories about Jesus so that we may believe. And so as I think about that belief, right, we've all heard about Christ, know that some people worship him, some people don't. Some people believe in him as God, some people don't. My question is, where does that belief come from? Why do some people believe in Jesus, and why do some people not believe in Jesus? Whenever I was in college, I was working through these questions of belief. I grew up in church, so my dad was a pastor, so I was supposed to believe, right? That's kind of what happens if you're a pastor's kid, a PK, And I was from Mississippi, so the Bible belt, right, the buckle of the Bible belt. So I had to believe. I had no choice in it. And then I got to college, and I started thinking through, okay, well, who is Jesus really? Is he a real person or not? Is he made up? Is he this big myth? Or is he truly God in the flesh? So that's what I was kind of dealing with. I had to answer these questions for myself. And along the way, uh, sophomore year of college, I met this girl. And she believed in Jesus. She was following Jesus, and I was interested in her. And just to tell you, you know, a little bit about my story. And so I was trying to date this girl, and I remember asking her, um, is she, you know, if if she would be my girlfriend. And she said no because I was I didn't have a strong enough relationship with Christ with Jesus. She's I remember I, I gave her. I left a note for her in a way that she would see it, and she missed it. It's like she didn't see the note that I left for her, um, and she didn't see it on purpose. Like she knew what the note was, and I don't know. She's like just, I was like, how did you miss the note? I was thinking that internally whenever I, you know, I put it like on her table or whatever. And she didn't see it, and then later on we were, you know, chatting, and essentially she said, I don't think I can be in a relationship with you because I don't think you really you know jesus was important to her and she said i don't think you're well enough i don't think you have a relationship with christ yet i don't know if i can if i can be in a relationship with you and so that was weird for me it's like why what what does jesus have to do with us right like me and you together what does this guy have to do with that later on in college this girl left the faith she no longer believes Okay? She no longer believes in Jesus as the Son of God. She no longer believes in Jesus as the Messiah. And so the roles were reversed. Whereas at one time, I wasn't really sure on Christ, and she was. Now, four, five, six, seven years later, I'm very certain who Jesus is, and she's not. She doesn't believe anymore. What happened? Why doesn't she believe, and why do I believe? What does the Bible tell us is the reason that we believe? And what does it mean to come to Jesus in the first place? Today, we're going to work through John chapter 6, verse 35 to 48. We're going to work through the famous passage where it says that Jesus is the bread of life. And we're going to see that we come to Jesus whenever we believe. First, we believe by coming to Christ. Second, We believe because we've been given to Christ. And then finally, we believe, and because of that, we stay with Christ. We're going to look at three words. Come, give, and stay. And so I'm going to read for us in John chapter 6, starting in verse 35. Jesus, just to give you the context, Jesus is in the town of Capernaum. He is in Judea, so think like Israel, where Israel is right now and Jesus has done a miracle and the miracle is the feeding of the fish with the fishes and the loaves right there were 20,000 people gathered together on the sea on the shores of the Sea of Galilee and they only had a few fish and a few bread and he begins feeding 20,000 people just feeding them he's breaking up the fish and the bread in small pieces and miraculously everyone is fed not nearly enough food but everyone gets fed so that miracle has just happened And now he's chatting with the people on the other side of the sea in the town of Capernaum and he's telling them I am the Messiah I am God in the flesh you need to believe in me as a Savior of the world don't come to me for fish and bread come to me for salvation and so he says in verse 35 I am the bread of life should have it up there yeah I am the bread of life whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. So Jesus is making these exclusive claims. Believe in Me, and you will have eternal life. Don't hunger for the fish and the bread. Don't use Me to fill your stomach. Use Me to fill your soul. I am the bread of life. All who hunger, all who thirst, come to Me, and you will find everything your life needs, your life needs, your soul needs. Okay. So He's putting that out there, and then the people that listen to that, they respond, verse 41. So the Jews grumbled against him because he said, "I'm the bread that came down from heaven." And they said, "Is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Like, who the heck is this guy? Like I went to high school with this guy. This guy is, he was okay, but he's not God, right? Who the heck is this guy? Um, verse uh, at the end of there. How does he say now, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them. Actually, sorry, verse 42. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answers them, Do not grumble amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written the prophets, and they will all be taught by God, Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me has eternal life. I am the bread of life. The first thing Jesus says here as he is confronting these people, and the first thing he says to us and his question, how do we believe? in Christ. How are we saved? The first thing Jesus says is that you, you must come to Jesus. I'm sure you've heard that before. You must come to Jesus. I'm going to read verse 35 again. Jesus says, "I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never first thirst." thirst. This is the gospel call, okay? This is the message that the church preaches. We preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that God sent his Son into the world, that we're sinners separated from God, that God sent his Son into the world to save us, to reconcile us with God if we repent and believe. And so what Jesus is doing is is he's just giving that message out. The general call. These people are here He's saying, I am the bread of life. If you're hungry, if you're thirsty, come to me and be saved. And so at one level, belief is very simple. You need to choose if you believe or not. At the end of the day, whenever I was growing up, I believed because my dad believed, because my mom believed, because my church believed, not because I believed. It's a very, that's a big difference. I got to college, started thinking with my own brain, not someone else's brain, who is Christ. Okay, I believe. I have come to him. It's not my dad's faith, it's not my mom's faith. It's my faith. And so the message of the church is always to individuals, on an individual level, on you, on a you with God level, not a you know, a whole church level. At the end of the day, the message of Jesus comes to you individually. And that's what we see in Scripture, Romans 10, verse 14. This is what the Apostle Paul says. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? So how are people going to call on God if they don't believe in him? And then he expounds that question. How are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And that how are they to hear without someone preaching? It's the call Of the church it's the task of the church to preach Jesus to tell people that they need to come to Jesus and that's exactly what we see Jesus doing here in John 6 verse 35 again he says I am the bread of life whoever comes to me shall not hunger whoever believes in me shall never thirst this again is the gospel call the general message that is put out to the whole world and in this verse I'm just gonna break it down real quick Where do we see the gospel in this verse? Well, the first thing in this verse we see is that Jesus says we have a problem. And it's implicit in the text here, and we we have it right here, okay? This text, Jesus implies that we have a problem. And it's kind of hard to see, but it's there. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is implying that we have a hunger. Jesus is implying that we have a thirst, that there's something not quite right with us, that we are not okay, that we have a problem, okay? And he connects it to physical hunger and physical thirst. You have to eat food, and you have to drink drink, or you're not going to live, right? You're going to die. You're going to pass away. In the same sense, we have a soul hunger, We have a spiritual hunger. We have something within us that is not right, that that needs to be filled up. That's what Jesus is saying. We understand that that we physically hunger, but maybe we don't realize that we also have a spiritual hunger. Maybe we don't realize that there's also things that we need from God that we aren't getting. The Bible tells us, the Bible preaches to us, that the root or the foundation of our spiritual need is that we have been alienated from god that god created us to be in relationship with him that's a good thing that god of life has given life to us and he has called us to find our life in him but our sin has separated us from him and so it says romans 3 23 all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god And this leads to a soul hunger. I think we know intuitively that there's more to life than just this life. There's more to living. There's something bigger and better, grander beyond us. What is the meaning of life? And Jesus says the meaning of life is found in God, but we've been alienated from that God. And so we're just kind of groping around in darkness. We're hungry, we're thirsty. In order to understand the good news of Jesus, we first have to agree that we are hungry. We first have to agree, have to understand that we are thirsty. So Jesus sets out the problem. You're hungry, you're thirsty, and then he positions himself as a solution. I am the bread of life. I am the solution to your problem. I am the bread that will satisfy your soul. In the wider gospel narrative, we, the church, understands that the satisfaction of the soul ultimately happens on the cross and in the tomb. The Bible says we're sinners, that God has to judge us for our sin. No one can endure that judgment. I can endure that judgment. I could try to be the best person in this world I could ever be, and it's not going to be enough. But Jesus has come and died on the cross for us, taken that punishment upon himself. And not only that, but he proved it by raising from the dead. Where is the body of Jesus? Right? If you want to disprove this religion, because we make, as Christians, we make some pretty big claims. If you want to disprove it, just find the body. It's all a lie if you can find the body of Christ. It's not there, because we believe it rose from the dead. We're going to be celebrating that in a few weeks. Easter Sunday. Jesus is the answer. He is the bread of life. That's what he's saying. And he's proven it on the cross and in the tomb. So now if we run to Jesus, that soul hunger we have is satisfied. He connects us to God in a way that we couldn't connect ourselves. And then going on in verse 35, he says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger whoever believes in me shall never thirst it's all great and fine that jesus is the bread of life but he's not your bread in life until you come to him it's all good and fine jesus is the bread of life and quenches our thirst but it's not your drink it's not your bread until you come to him scripture tells us how we come to jesus and it's by repentance and faith This is what the Apostle Peter says in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Apostle Peter, this is after the events of Jesus, the cross, and the tomb, and all that, and they're preaching the gospel message. Peter says to these people who have been cut to the heart by their sin, they say, what are we going to do? We've killed God in the flesh. Like That's the worst thing you could ever do is like kill God, right? What are we going to do? Peter says, this is what you need to do. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. How do we come to Jesus? Scripture tells us we come to Jesus by repenting of our sin, placing our faith in Him. That our sin's over here. All this stuff that keeps us from this God is over here. Jesus is over here. We turn from those sins on this side, place our faith in Jesus on this side, and we're saved. Leads to eternal life. Verse 40 says this, For this is the will of my Father, that whoever looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. The message of the church, and it can get really convoluted, because there's a lot of churches that preach a whole lot of things out there, What I'm saying is that what Jesus is saying is the central message of the church is this. We are sinners. Christ is Savior. We repent and believe in the Savior for eternal life. Why don't some people believe? Because they don't believe in that. They don't come to Jesus. Christ is saying the only way to eternal life is through me. Come to me. I am the bread of life satisfy your soul in me. That's what he gives them. How do they respond? How do you respond? How do they respond? Verse 36. This is what Jesus says to them. He says, come to me, you won't be hungry, but I said to you, but I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. These people have seen Jesus do a miracle. If you saw a man turn a plate of food into a buffet for 20,000 people, you might think something important's going on, right? <laughs> like something, this guy has, some, he's either the best magician in the world or there's something going on here. These people saw Jesus turn a plate of food into a, cater, uh, into a catering event for 20,000 people. And so he says, you have seen that, and yet you still do not believe in me. You have seen me do this miracle, but you still don't believe in me. Earlier in the book of John, there was this guy, John the Baptist. And this is what he said of Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 34. John the Baptist says, I have seen and have borne witness That this is the Son of God. So there's one man that sees Jesus, and he, this man, John, sees Jesus as the Son of God. There's another group of people that see Jesus, and they see Jesus a different way. John 6, 41 and 42 says this the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread of life. They said, Is this not Jesus the son of Joseph? Whose father and mother we know. One man saw Jesus, he saw the Son of God. Another group of people saw Jesus, they saw the Son of Joseph. They did not see the Son of God. The problem is the Son of Joseph can't save you from your sins. The Son of Mary can't save you from your sins. The Son of Joseph of Mary in Nazareth can't save you from your sins. Only the Son of God can save you from your sins. That is the question before you. Is Jesus God or not? The gospel requires us to come to Jesus as the Son of God. You can think he's a good teacher. You could think he's a historical figure. You can think that he's some crazy wild madman roaming around the desert 2,000 years ago. You can think all those things, but what the Bible tells us is that He said He is the Son of God. And if you think these other things, you're like the people in Capernaum. This is the son of Joseph. I went to high school with this guy. I don't believe this guy. And if you think that, you'll never know eternal life. Jesus is the Son of God. And so the gospel message goes out to all of us, the whole world, And calls us all out and calls us to decide, is he God in the flesh or not? And if he is God in the flesh, he calls you to come. He calls you to come. So why don't people believe? Because they don't come to Christ. They don't come to the bread of life. That's what Jesus says. So we come to Christ But there's something else going on here, and this is a deeper thing, and you might not believe what I'm going to say next. As surely as we come to Jesus, the Bible also says that we're given to Jesus. And this is a deep, a deep dive in Scripture. But this is what it says. Okay. Verse 35: Jesus says, Come to me, you shall not hunger, you shall not thirst. Then he continues in verse 37. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. How does that work? All the Father gives me will come to me. So you need to come to me, but you also need to understand that as you're coming to me, it's God the Father who is giving you to me. Okay? All the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Jump down to verse 44. This is what it says. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is saying, the only reason, again, the big question, why do some people believe and some not believe? Some believe because they come to Jesus, okay? But Jesus says, connected to this coming, the only reason we come to Jesus in the first place it is because God the Father has given us to him. The only reason we come is because God gives us. It works at the same time. In the first part, the gospel goes out. It's called the gospel call. And we come to Jesus. In the second part, what we see is God the Father is working underneath that, drawing us to himself in ways unseen. This is called the effectual call. The gospel call goes out. We're called to repent and believe externally, but internally, God's doing something. Internally, God is convincing us that this message that we're hearing is true, and from that internal working, we submit and believe the gospel. That's the effectual call. God is effecting within us what has been proclaimed outside of us. The gospel goes out. Some people hear it, you know, bounces off their forehead. I don't believe that junk. That's fine. Some people, the gospel goes out. They hear it. And a seed is planted in their mind. Planted in their heart, I would say. And so they think about it. Like, you know, this sounds crazy. Why would God send his son to die on a cross? That doesn't make any sense. Or I'm not a sinner. I'm, I, my life's good. I, I haven't done anything. Why would God, why would I need forgiveness? Okay. Initial struggling with. But over time, I don't, maybe you've had this experience, maybe, maybe you don't, you haven't. But over time, you're wrestling with these thoughts of Christ. Over time, you're struggling with these things. And you think, well, you know, maybe there is something to this guy. Maybe I don't have my life figured out. Maybe there is more to life than what's going on right now. Maybe I do need help. And maybe that help can't come from anything in this world. Maybe it has to come from God. And so, over time, the gospel call on the outside is making progress on the inside. And eventually, Lord willing, you repent and believe. What I'm saying is that inward work is God the Father giving you to the gospel, giving you to Christ. And some of you, I think, understand that. Because at the end of the day, people ask me, why do you believe in Jesus? And I can give you all these reasons, but at the end of the day, there's an internal sense of assurance and certainty that's just hard to explain. It's like, whenever I met my wife, Hannah, we got coffee, that's the first time we met. I knew right then I was going to marry her. It's like, whenever you know, you know, right? Whenever you know, you know. I knew, I was like, this is... Let me just go, let me stop on the way, let me stop on Kate Jewelers on the way home, get the ring, we'll be good to go, right? And if you know, you know. It's the same type of thing. It's, it's an internal conviction that this man is God. And it works together. We come to Jesus, but we're also given to Jesus by God the Father. So much so that in verse 44, Jesus himself says, No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. If it were not for the sovereign inner working power of God to save people, no one would come to Jesus. God does not just kind of throw the chips out there and just hope it lands in your favor. It doesn't work that way. Romans 8, verse 30. This is what the apostle Paul says about the effectual call of God. God effecting within us what has been proclaimed outside of us. says this, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God effectively calls. And, and you could think about it like this. It's a new creation. The Bible says in the book of Genesis that God spoke, let there be light, and there was light. God created all things from His speech. Out of nothing came something. He called out into the darkness and there was light. In the same way with Jesus, He calls out to us and makes us into new people from death to life, recreates us, does away with the sin, does away with the death, does away with all that junk, takes it away in Christ, calls out to us, and we respond. Here's some examples in the book of Acts of the effectual call. Acts 16. There's this woman named Lydia. Lydia in the book of Acts, Acts 16, is a woman that has her life figured out. She's a seller of purple goods. And back in the day, purple goods were like primo. Like, you know, you think about um, like rodent and fields and all that stuff. Some of these ladies just are killing it, right, with their businesses and all that. That's how Lydia was. She was killing it. She she had this business figured out. She was making a lot of money. She was, you know, she had it all had it all figured out. And then it says in Acts 16 that she heard the gospel. She heard this message of Jesus and she believed. And this is how it went. On the Sabbath day, Paul, apostle of Christ, preacher of the gospel, Paul and his friend Silas went outside the gate to the riverside. They're in the city of Philippi. So they're outside the city. They went there where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. So they meet these women. They share the gospel with, with these women. Verse 14, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia, the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. And it says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. What a weird way to say that she believed. It doesn't say that, and Lydia believed. It says, and the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. That's the gospel call and the effectual call. The gospel call is what Paul was saying. The effectual call is what the Lord was doing within her. The Lord brought her to a position to listen to what was being said honestly, openly, maybe truthfully the first time. It hit different. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And she believed. The gospel call, the effectual call. Acts thirteen forty eight. the same guy is preaching the gospel to Gentiles. And it says here in verse 48, And when the Gentiles heard this message, this outward gospel call to come to Jesus, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed again that weird construction it's not that they heard the message and believed it's that they heard the message and as many as were already appointed to eternal life believed God is already working within these people to bring them to a point where they will believe he's affecting within them what they need to believe now this is tough this is a hard thing to grasp if you think about it. We are called to come to Jesus, but we also see here that God gives us to Jesus. That it's, God is sovereign here. He is the one that is saving us, but also we are come to believe of our own free will. How do those work together, right? How am I supposed to come to Jesus but also realize that if I have come, it's only because God's given me to Jesus in the first place? Those seem to be in tension with each other, free will and God's sovereignty. And that's a tough thing. And there's a lot of people that that don't think the same on this. They don't believe that God is the one that truly saves people at the end of the day. So here, there's a lot of things we're not going to be able to fully grasp here. I don't know if anyone has really um, unraveled that knot of our free will and God's Sovereignty, but that's okay, right? Because if I'm being honest and I'm trying to conceive of an infinite God as a finite human It makes sense to me that some things about God wouldn't make sense Right. How could I possibly be able to understand everything about God? It's impossible. I'm finite. He is infinite. I'm temporary. He is eternal And so it says in Deuteronomy 29 The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. God says, Look, there's going to be some things about me you're not going to be able to understand. Some things I'm going to show you, some things you're not going to be able to understand. And that's just how it is. And I'm okay with that. Some people aren't okay with that. Some people want to be able to fit all of God into their head. One, I think that's impossible. Two, that's not faith. That's not faith. If you can figure God out, then you don't need to have faith in him. It's just a robot that you press the button and you get what you want from him. No, God has called us to faith in him, to believe, to come, and trust that he is moving us in that direction at the same time. This is what it says. Psalm 139, 6. Such knowledge of God is too wonderful for me. It is high and cannot contain it. As I think about how God saves people through the gospel call and the effectual call, I am humbled. I am humbled. Salvation is a gift from God, unearned. Can't make it myself. God offers it to me freely. Not enough money in the world to buy this salvation. I could empty out the bank accounts of Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Warren Buffett. All those guys, all the money in the world could not buy this salvation. It is offered to me freely. And the very gift itself, the faith I have in Jesus, that faith itself is given to me by God. I'm humbled. I have not earned any of this. And yet God has saved me me. The effectual call humbles us, but it also gives us great hope. If God is the one that saves, then there is no soul too far from him. If God is the one that saves, there is no person so far gone that God cannot turn their life around. If God is the one that saves, then there is no heart so cold that it cannot be warmed by the fire of God's love. That is awesome, It doesn't matter what your situation is, or if you're a follower of Jesus, what someone else's situation is that you're praying for. God is the one that saves. It's not up to you to really will it to happen. God's going to do it. And that gives me great hope. And it's to this hope that we're going to turn here to our last point. Why do some people believe in Jesus? Because they come, because they're given. And finally, because they stay. Because they stay with Christ. This is what it says, John chapter 6, over in verse 37, Jesus says this. Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. And finally, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. The Bible teaches this beautiful promise that if you come to Christ, you will never lose him. You will never lose be cast away. You will never fall away. God does not get tired of you. And he doesn't kick you out of his house. That's not how it works. There's some some that believe, some churches that believe that people can lose their salvation, that you can, you know, believe in Jesus, truly be saved, and then lose that. I don't I don't think that's the case. I think Scripture says, and there's other parts of John that says we won't be snatched out of the Father's hand. I think Scripture is very clear that we will never fall away from Jesus if we truly come to Him and if we're truly been given to Him, that we have an eternal security in Christ. And I think it breaks down in two ways, this hope that we have of staying with Jesus. We have a right now hope, and we also have a future hope. We have a right now experienced hope, but we have an eternal, assured hope. If you go back to the text we see two things that Jesus says. Jesus says he will never cast us out. And then he says he will never lose us. Once we have been united with Jesus, we can never be separated from him. God does not turn his back on his people. And that's such a powerful word. I mean, if I think about you know, my, my life has been blessed. My family's great family. My my dad's awesome, mom's awesome, really close with my siblings. A lot of people don't have that, and so a lot of people, whenever they think of, you know, rejection and um, being cast out, I mean, people cast out of their homes. The very real experience, and so whenever you think about a father God, that's what you're thinking about. What if he's just like my other dad, right? Jesus says here, verse 37, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. There's no doubt that once we are brought into the home of God, that is our home forever. He does not cast us out. It doesn't matter how much we mess up. It doesn't matter how bad things get. It doesn't matter what's going on. The grace of God is greater than that. Romans 8, verse 35. This is what the Apostle Paul says. Verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? We've come to Jesus, we've been given to Jesus, we have him, the bread of life, eternally satisfied, our souls secure. Who will separate us from who will separate us from that? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution, will famine, nakedness, danger, sword, COVID pandemic? Going on, verse. 38. I hope not. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you are in Christ, you stay with Him forever. Nothing in this world will separate you from that love, and God himself will never separate you from that love, because Jesus will never cast you out. What a powerful word that is. For the rejected, for the let down, for the disappointed, you will never be cast away. We have a right now hope in Jesus. We stay with him forever. It reminds me of Christ's word, John fifteen four. Where Jesus says, abide in me, and I in you. That word abide means to make your home, to dwell, to dwell with Jesus. And as I think about what dwelling with Jesus means, there's no mortgage, there's no utilities, right? No home repairs. I'm trying to buy a home, looking at a home that was built in 1800. This guy's telling me not to do it because of all the home repairs that are coming. So Paul is saying the same thing. In, In Jesus' house, there is no home repair. I don't have to worry about my oil. I will never be evicted. He will never cast me out. Everything is covered. Everything is paid for. I just have to dwell with him. I just abide. That's what he invites us to do. To come and abide. To find your new home. And we have that in this world. We have a present hope. We have a right now hope. But it's not just right now, because the gospel stretches for eternity. So as we conclude, we see that we also have a future hope. It says here in verse 40, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. Where does eternal life come from? From looking on and believing in the Son, again, responding to the gospel call, understanding that's the effectual call causing you to do that. What's the result? Eternal life is the result. And that eternal life is manifested, the last part here. I will raise him up on the last day. God promises to us, eternal life. And this is something we can't really comprehend. We just know this life, right? I am 30 years old, been on this earth 30 years. Jesus and the life with Christ that He offers us is eternal. That is totally beyond. If you think about it, this life then, if you think about a rope that stretches on for eternity, this life is like this much of the rope. We got so much more to come. Jesus says our present hope stretches into an eternal hope. What we experience of Jesus now stretches on into eternity, a heavenly one. And he says here, I will raise him up on the last day. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul was preaching to the church there in Thessalonica, and they had received the gospel, but they were uh, grieved, because some of the people that had believed in Jesus had died, and so they weren't sure because you know their their mom died or whatever if their mom is going to be able to go to heaven, and so they were truly grieved that their families had missed the boat here. And this is what Paul says to them. He says, "But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep or those who have who have passed away, that you may not grieve as others who do." Um, as others do who have no hope. Continuing on, verse 16 says this For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, and the sound of a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. As followers of Christ, we do not exist in this world as others do with no hope. Our hope is an eternal hope because we believe Jesus is coming back. This is not all there is to this world. Jesus is coming back to unite us with God. Scripture says in Revelation, there's no more crying, no more mourning, no more pain, no more tears, no more brokenness where God is. That is the destiny of the church. And so we look forward to to the resurrection of ourselves alongside Christ whenever he comes. Romans 6, verse 5 says this, If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. The promise to the church is because Jesus rose, so we all will rise. Heaven is a comfort. Eternal security with Jesus is a comfort knowing that it ends in our favor, knowing that it ends in victory, knowing that it ends in resurrected life, that gives us hope for the future, no matter what is going on in this world. There's a hymn that I sang growing up. It says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The gospel call has gone out to the whole world. Jesus is the bread of life. He's called us to come to him. Those who come to him understand they have been given to him by the Father. And now, after this, we see that we will stay with him, both in this world and the world to come. For you, I'm not sure what you believe, where you are with this, but I would echo the words of Jesus. All who are hungry, all who are thirsty, come in the bread of life. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you in prayer. I come to you in prayer. We come to you in prayer, Lord, because of the words of Jesus that said that no one can come to me unless the father draws them. And so God, we come to you as a people that believe that. I believe that, Lord. And so whenever I pray, I pray that you in your grace, in your power would work within hearts. Your word says that it comes down, the word of God comes down. It does not return empty but it accomplishes the purpose for which it is sent. Lord, the purpose of your word is to restore us with our God. That the sins of our hearts, the conditions of our hearts, that how we are, if we're honest, we don't have it all figured out. We're not perfect. No one's perfect, Lord. And we might kind of brush that off, but your word tells us that That's a death sentence on us. That we got to deal with our mistakes. We got to deal with our mess ups. And if we try to deal with it on our own, it's it's just going to lead to more junk. (laughs) If we try to put those pieces together, it's just going to lead to more broken pieces we're trying to put together. Only Jesus can put that together. Only Christ can save us from that sin that has alienated us from you. He is the bread of life. Only he can satisfy all these other bread of the world, you're just gonna have to order more. Lord, I pray that you would reveal this to us in a way that we can't argue with. Just as I knew Hannah was the one whenever I met her, Lord, so that you would give us an internal conviction that these things are true, or at least lead to more questions. You have offered yourself to us so fully, so freely. We just need to accept. Lord, help us to believe. Give us the joy of your salvation. Give us the hope of the future, a present hope, a future hope. Help us to come. May you be glorified, Lord, this morning. We love you. We thank you. Amen, Jesus, I pray these things.